0: What's up, guys? This is Bar Hoppin', and I'm your host, Drew Landry. This is a podcast where me and my guest talk about their all time favorite rap verse. My guest today is Brian Zizuk, a.k.a. Z. Z is the editor in chief at DJ Booth, and he's the co founder and current VP of content operations and artist services at AudioMac. And overall, he is just a fountain of information about the music industry. Z used to be my boss when I wrote for the humor section for DJ Booth, which is still easily one of my favorite moments of my career so far. The song Z wanted to talk about was Juicy by Biggie. Now that song is obviously so iconic that it was kind of impossible to choose one verse, so we kind of just talked about the whole song. Also, fair warning, the audio quality is kind of mediocre. As you can hear from this intro, I do not have the best recording equipment. But I'm working on it, and I just love this interview. I think we did it in March, and I'm excited to finally put it out. So yeah, let's start it. This is Bar Hoppin'. How have you been? It seems like you've been busy. (laughs) You seem like a man that wears a lot of hats.
1: Yeah, probably probably a few more hats than I'd like to sport. Yeah. (laughs) It's tough, you know. Uh, When you work on the internet, you don't really ever get a break. Um, You know, whenever anyone asks outside of this industry, because anyone who's in it really understand that you, you sort of can't escape the matrix, I always say... People always think that the grass is greener. You know, the, the people who, who have traditional standard nine to five jobs, mm-hmm. th- their thought process is, okay, well, um, five o'clock I go home and I'm done. And I don't have to think about work till nine o'clock the next day. But, you know, I, I wish I had more freedom and flexibility and all this. And the people who, who don't have nine to five jobs. They're just like, I-, I wish at five o'clock I could just walk out of the office. And yeah, and that's it. Anything till the next day. Um, I wish the internet had like hours of operation.
0: Ugh, wouldn't that away. be nice? And the internet is just so mentally exhausting.
1: It, it-, it just beats you down.
0: It really you know, does.
1: You know, I- I- it's-, it's almost impossible to do the job too, because, you know, I don't have Instagram. I don't use Facebook. It's deactivated. Mm. I only use Twitter. If I didn't have this job, I would delete that too.
2: Yeah. And
1: it's almost impossible to be on it and not, even if you try hard, see some shit that just completely is demoralizing or you know breaks your soul or impacts your mental health. It's it's so tough.
0: Yeah, it's exhausting.
1: So tough. How's your comedy career going? I can't imagine the pandemic was uh
0: I um I've done a few outdoor open mics since I got vaccinated. But it's, it's really interesting the way comedy is right now. There's essentially two types of people doing comedy right now. There's the comics that have been safe, but they got the vaccine and they're doing it again. And there's the comics who are kind of alt-right Trump supporter types who think COVID's fake and they've been doing stand-up the whole time. So I went to an open mic the other night and it felt like an alt-right rally. It was a really um, odd creepy vibe yeah it's uh, it's a uh, it's weird but stand up slowly coming back i'm doing a weekend of shows um when i'm in baltimore which i'm excited for and i'm excited for stand up to fully come back hopefully sooner than later
1: yeah that's that's tough man i mean to to have to be in a position where you have to go where the people are um while also thinking and considering your safety and the safety of others and then also not just completely, I guess uh, might not be appropriate, but like selling out just so that you can earn a living. With, yeah. So with an audience that um, makes you feel uncomfortable, that sucks.
0: Yeah, but hopefully it'll be back to normal soon enough.
1: Okay, so are we gonna do? Uh, can I pick which verse from Juicy?
0: Uh, yeah. Do you have a specific verse?
1: Um, <laughs> they're all great. Yeah. I mean, we, we I mean, we could just tackle. The, the song in general since all three, I mean, we can start with the main, the, fir- the first version. First. The, the theme of the entire song is like, you know, <laughs> no one no one thought I would get here, I'm here, life is fucking amazing.
2: So, yeah. I mean,
1: which as a kid growing up, you hear that and you, you know, like, oh shit, he's got Super Nintendo and Sega Genesis.
0: <laughs> he made it.
1: Yeah, two, two video game systems. Man, his parents are
0: awesome. <laughs> so I think one thing I love about this song—I mean, there's many things I love—but I feel like there's a handful of opening lines in hip hop that are iconic, and one of them is "It was all a dream."
1: Oh yeah, I mean, <laughs> um, beyond being an iconic line, uh, you could just—you could just picture it, right? Yeah. One of one of Biggie's um, uh, best characteristics as an MC was he painted a picture for you and you didn't even have to listen to the record. You could just read the lyrics and see the imagery and the idea that he went from imagining himself in a magazine to being in a magazine that, I mean, that, that is like every kid's dream. Who least I mean, well, I, I didn't want to be a rapper cause I'm white and I know I can't rap. <laughs> I'm, I'm imagining every kid's dream. Uh, was in Biggie's
0: shoes. Yeah, totally. And tell me if you agree with this. I was thinking about how one of the reasons Biggie's probably the greatest is that he made rapping look so easy. Like he he came off as so smooth and effortless.
1: Oh, yeah. And 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 you know, I don't know if you saw the uh, the more recent Biggie doc. Um Yeah,
0: the one on Netflix? On Netflix.
1: Yeah. Um you know, Puff said Big is like a, a, a gospel artist. He's a poet. Uh, and so the fact is that he, he had the, the fundamental traits as an orator to deliver lyrics in such a, a profound and meaningful way. It's, it's not a leap for him to have gone into rap and, and, and been so effort, come across so effortless. Um, knowing, you know, his foundation.
0: Yeah, because, and now, when I saw the doc, I didn't know that. And after hearing that, it made sense more because he is very bouncy and kind of uh, soulful and sing-songy, the way he raps. But even now, I think there are so many rappers that, they're great, but, like, Eminem's an example, and you know I love Eminem, but the way he raps, it's like he's rapping like, look at how well I can rap. Like, with how fast it is, rappers like that. And Biggie, just something about it. He just felt like he wasn't even trying. That's how good he was.
1: Yeah, Eminem has always struck me, especially in the latter portion of his career, as someone who was out to prove how great he was technically. And and obviously, Biggie's life and career got cut short. And so it's sort of not a fair... um, uh, apples to apples comparison because you know who knows if Biggie was still alive, what type of music he would be making if he would even still be an active recording artist to compare where he was at the beginning of his career um, because I don't feel like Eminem was always that way, um, but yeah, I mean, just there's there's different levels of artistry and storytelling, and not to take anything away from Eminem or any other artist, um, but the the portraits that, that Biggie effortlessly painted. I mean, he, he, bar none, I mean, he, he just, just among, among, if not the best of all time.
0: Yeah. I loved in the documentary when Diddy was like, he's the best rapper of all time. And I was saying that before he died.
1: Well, I mean, (laughs) I, not, not to call Puff out. It's easy to say that now. Yeah. (laughs) I'm sure that Puff did tell him that at the time. Yeah. Uh, And there was no bigger champion in Big's life outside of his mother uh, than Puff. So I'm, but if you're listening, this is not me calling you a liar.
0: <laughs> he's, a, he's a big fan of the podcast. He'll probably hear this. Excellent. <laughs> but yeah, just the first few bars just feel so iconic. Like even people I know that aren't into rap, they know the first verse from Juicy.
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, I'd I, I have to look at the numbers if, if they're even available on the internet. But if you were to, um, if we were to find out what the most uh, chosen songs are at karaoke night across America.
0: Oh, this would be I, I one of imagine.
1: them. <laughs> Under the rap category, this is this is top ten.
0: Yeah, I'd say Big Papa probably is too.
1: Oh yeah, oh yeah. I mean, just everything about this this verse, the opening verse of Juicy, it's just dripping with nostalgia in twenty twenty one, which is you know fantastic considering. It was dripping with nostalgia when it was released in 94. Yeah. So uh, that is the, the, um, the designation of, of a, a memorable record, one that stands the test of time. The fact that it felt that way upon release and still feels that way all these years later.
2: Yeah.
0: I mean, just this whole album has aged incredibly.
1: Which is a testament to Big's ability to capture our attention Um, and hold our attention, and paint those pictures that I talked about earlier. You know, not to compare what he was doing at the the short and brief height of his career to what artists are doing today, but it's so rare now. It's so rare to find an artist who gets your attention and keeps your attention and is able to effortlessly paint pictures through their their lyrics. Yeah. It's so few and far
0: between. It's it's like a movie in your head, really.
1: That's what he was aiming for. I mean that that is this album. That, that this entire album was a movie.
0: Yeah. This I just his flow is just so. I I think I've grown to love that type of slow, confident delivery.
1: Yeah, you know it's funny too. Is most artists today, if they were attempt, if they were to attempt a similar um, uh, approach, we'll call it. Um, without the, 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 the voice and, um, the confidence and, um, the husk, I, I think they'd be laughed away. Um, yeah. The the, the deliberateness of, of the bars. Uh, yeah, it just, it takes a special talent to do that.
0: Yeah. I'm, uh, I'm scrolling through the verses right now, but yeah, this is, this is a song where every verse like, they, it's hard to choose just one verse as the most iconic one.
1: The, the whole song is iconic. I, I, I mean, the opening verse is obviously the most popular because that's the beginning. And, you know, this is a five-plus-minute song. And I know for a lot of younger listeners here, the idea of a five-minute rap song existing is, is like, insane. I <laughs> record is, like, two minutes and 15 seconds. You know, the idea of a, of, of a song that has three verses in 2021 is insane to most people I'm sure. Uh, but the, the, the third verse, a verse that if this record was released today by anyone wouldn't even exist. Um, when he opens up with Super Nintendo, Sega Genesis, when I was a dead broke man, I couldn't picture this. So I mean, growing up, uh, I never had Super NES. We had Sega and we basically had to like run it into the ground before my parents were like, okay, We'll get you a PlayStation or something. Um, so the idea that he had two video game systems simultaneously, and that to him was like he made it right. He's got the yeah,
2: TV,
1: he's got the sofa and not one but two video game systems, bro. I'm on that next level. <laughs> As a kid, I was super jealous.
0: Yeah, and it really is like a good way to to put yourself in the shoes of. Of him as a kid, or people that wanted to be like him.
1: Yeah, I mean, think about it too. I mean, you know, I, the way that the way that I just explained it, it seems ironic, but w- when you're growing up and you have nothing, you, I mean, you, you
2: can't dream of having one system. Yeah, than two systems. The idea that you'd have to
1: potentially save up money over years in order to afford to legally buy one system, and then you still need the TV to connect to it, um, and not all TVs at that time were adaptable to modern technology video game systems. So, I mean, yeah, for him, that was that, that was a dream come true. Uh, today, I mean, kids are fucking spoiled.
2: Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, that, I, it'd be, um it, yeah, because if you heard today a rapper rap about how they got an Xbox and PlayStation, you it, it would just sound silly. You'd be like, well, who cares? So does my cousin.
1: <laughs> yeah, and, you know, the other thing that stands out in that third verse is him talking about smiling every time he sees his based um, either oh. in or on the cover of, of the Source magazine. Um, you know, fast forward to 2021, um, well, no offense to the Source, while, while print magazines are, are obviously not what they were um, in general across the board and specifically within hip-hop, what they once were, um, I think if you, if you were to pull, you know, a hundred artists, rap or otherwise, um, they would all tell you that they're despite the fact that magazines are far less read and that blogs are nowhere near as important as they once were in this space, that there's a certain level of notoriety that those articles or posts or stories uh, bring that would put that smile on their face.
2: Oh, totally.
0: Well, and sure, especially back then, to be on The Source was a massive, massive deal. I mean, it still is, but you know what I mean.
1: Yeah, I mean... (laughs) It it is within the context of the, you know, print journalism ecosystem and uh, the music industry. Obviously, comparing it to the the peak uh, in the early 90s is is apples to oranges.
2: Yeah.
0: So right now, if it's not necessarily print magazines and blogs aren't as prevalent uh, to success as they were in the blog era, what is the current version of that? What would you think is the current version of an artist? having their face on the source?
1: Probably being the cover artist for a huge playlist, right? So, I, you know, I guess if you're the cover artist for Rap Caviar on Spotify, possibly. Um, you know, it, it's just, it's so hard to compare what that type of look meant at that time to now. You know, Big was, he? Big received print coverage before... He blew up, and that absolutely helped him blow up. Um, whereas now, before an artist blows up, there's almost next to no chance that they're going to get that type of look in 2021. And what yeah. I by that is, you know, there's 50 records on Spotify's Rap Caviar, and the last time I looked, all 50 artists either were signed directly to a major label or they had ties to a major label. And so if you were in his position now, you wouldn't even be able to get on that playlist at number 50, let alone be the cover artist for the whole playlist, meaning you have the number one uh, track on it. So, I mean, it's uh, it's hard to imagine that there's anything that you can compare that to.
0: Do you think it's harder for artists to break out right now or do you think it's just different?
1: <laughs> That's a great question. Um, I'd say it's, it's, it's probably easier and it's different, right? It's, it's easier in that the barriers to entry into this music business um, are gone, right? I mean, you know, Big is a generational all-time talent, but he needed people to believe in him, people who shepherded his career along, and more importantly, people, you know, i.e. Uh, Puffy who helped bankroll that career, who spent money for studio time and marketing and promotion um, and allowed him to capture people's attention outside of the New York and Tri-State East Coast region, right? Um, Now there are no regional, territorial, or industrial blocks. I mean, the entire world is available to you immediately. You just have to be A, talented, which a lot of artists you know, sadly lack. Um, mm-hmm. They might have to drive the, the, the willpower, the, the, the wherewithal, the smarts, but the music just isn't there. Um, or the music is great, and they have no idea how to market, or reach an audience, or engage with fans on social media. And so it's the, the, the landscape is so dramatically different, but I do believe because of all of the Technology and tools available to artists now, all of which were not available years ago. Um, and if you if you didn't have funding back then, you couldn't record, you couldn't get into a studio, you couldn't mass manufacture CDs, you couldn't print them up, you couldn't physically distribute them. Now, you know, you can record in your bedroom, and you can upload to to DistroKid or TuneCore. Or, Any number of of distributors or or aggregators and your song is available everywhere, you know, for ten bucks or less. Yeah. Big big didn't have that option.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. Do you think the current climate where an artist, let's say a brand new artist, can just put out a song in their bedroom, release it, send it to everyone through DMs or whatever, do you think and I don't know how to word this, does that give them less room to take time to grow because they already potentially have a big platform?
1: Yes. I mean, the, I think the, the perception of the platform being big um, is a misnomer. I mean, the internet is, is what is big. Mm. Um, you know, how, how large your uh, e- individual ecosystem is is based strictly on um, the quality of your work, the ability for you to market that work and the ability for you to convey a story that that people care about. Um, You know, 60,000 records are uploaded to Spotify every day. And, you know, I think something like 90% or a little bit more than that uh, of that total are listened to once or zero times. And so, you know, most artists, most of these recordings are never even heard. we're talking about artists who cannot even convince their mother to press play (laughs) Uh that they make. Um, So, yeah, I mean, the industry is just so fundamentally different now than it was even a couple years ago, just based on the volume of
2: artists who are creating.
0: Yeah, I mean, it makes sense. I feel like right now, and this isn't inherently bad, but I feel like right now there's more aspiring rappers than ever.
2: Yeah,
1: there's more aspiring artists, period. Yeah. It, It goes back to two questions ago. And the reason is simple. The barrier to entry is so low, the costs uh, that are required to get into this space are minimal. You can record for very little to no money at home. You can market for very little to no money. If you have creativity and ingenuity and access to social media and YouTube, you could do it for next to nothing and then monetize some of that and if you're fortunate enough to generate any revenue, directly pour that back into your work. So,
2: yeah, I mean,
1: I feel like if you're an artist right now and you're serious about your craft, it's probably best to play the long game because all of those artists who are getting involved because they don't really care about the music, it just looks fun or cool. Mm. Instagram, clout, whatever. I'm 37 next Monday, this month, though, <laughs> April. I'm 37. I, I know nothing about any of that. <laughs> you basically just have to bide your time. Wait for all these other artists to, to peter out. And, and remember, and this is critical, you're not really competing with other artists so much as you're competing for the free time of the consumer. So quite simply, the more artists there are, um, doesn't change the fact that there's only 24 hours in a day. And most people only have three max four hours a day of quote-unquote free time in which they spend it consuming on-demand content of all kinds. Video, music, porn, social media, news. Stuff.
0: Yeah, like you're competing with everything.
1: Everything, not just music, and not just, you know, a- another rapper from down the block or, or in the same city.
0: Yeah, you're just like, you're competing, they have the world in their phone.
1: Yeah. <laughs> All exactly.
0: When When Ready to Die came out, was it already considered an instant classic? Was it this event, or did it become a classic over the years? Because I wasn't there, and this is one of my favorite albums.
1: Yeah. So I mean, like, just to put into context, I was ten years old at the time uh-huh. that, it, that it released. So quite honestly, I don't remember as vividly what impact it made immediately because, one, again, I was ten. But two, um, there was no internet, right? And so yeah, you didn't have the opportunity to immediately be inundated with everyone else's opinion about this musical world. All I know is when I first got the chance to listen to it, which might have been, it might have been two years later. I, I don't know. Um, I was enamored by it, and then as I got older and I looked back on it and invested time in learning more about the artist. And the landscape that was present at the time it was released, it's clear to me that it, it was in the in the modern, in more contemporary terms, an instant classic. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, it has stood the test of time, so that that immediate label has held up in you know in subsequent years. Um, I, I'm always afraid to label something as an instant classic because obviously. Um, You know, we all tend to be a bit hyperbolic, you know, but especially now in the internet age when um, event albums almost turn into communal listening experiences. Yeah. You know, if something big drops on a Thursday night at store turn and everyone's listening and scrolling Twitter at the same time, the remarks and comments that they're reading are absolutely going to shade and color that listening experience. And that might be good. It might be bad. And so I know, personally, kind of what you do, when a big album drops, um, I completely detach from social media during that first listen. I don't want anyone else outside of me and that artist in my headphones to dictate my, my first
0: uh, opinion. I do that, too, because I'm the same way. I know that um, if I read 10 tweets saying this new album is trash, I'll go into it say, saying, well, I guess this is going to suck, and that will change how I listen to it.
1: It's dangerous. I mean, you know, uh, groupthink is very real. You know, I, there have been multiple occasions where I have seen a, a, a heavy volume commentary on a particular title from an artist I'm familiar with, but whose body of work I'm not. Mm. And I would be lying if I said that my consuming that commentary prior to consuming the album for which the commentary was given, undoubtedly shaped my opinion going in. And we don't ask to be influenced in that way. It's just, it's, it's psychological. You can't help but, have that happen. If someone tells you that a restaurant makes the best French fries, you're going to go to that restaurant and order those fries, thinking you're about to eat the best French fries of all time. Yeah. They're anything but the best French fries of all time. Even though that was always a possibility, you're still going to be
2: disappointed.
0: Yeah, and I I think a little bit of it is excitement because there is something fun about that communal listening experience with an event album. But because of that, let's say Drake drops a new album and everyone's just excited and we're all kind of listening to it at the same time. It just came out. You might be hyperbolic and you're enjoying it and you're just like, this is a classic. This is a 10. This is one of the best albums I've ever heard. Like we, uh, people immediately jump to that. I think partially out of excitement for this new listen that everyone, that that feels like an event.
1: The problem with that though, and I, I don't disagree with you. The problem is that I think what the best thing and the worst thing to ever happen to music was that the the mechanism through which we get it, most of us get it, is our cell phones. Yeah. And you know, when when music was on a stereo, it was an active behavioral experience. And when it was through an iPod that was that did not have a Wi-Fi connection, it was an active experience. Now because it's on our phones it has become a passive experience. And so very few people just press play and enjoy. They press play and the music simply sounds soundtracks something else. Mm-hmm. In the case of a listening experience with a big artist, you're pressing play and then either toggling over to another app, likely Instagram or Twitter, or sticking your phone in your pocket and doing something else while you listen. And so, you know, back to what I said before, not only do I disconnect from uh, scrolling through social media when I listen to an event album, but I'll also not look at my phone. Mm-hmm. I, I just put the headphones on and I just listen. I don't want to be influenced by anything else. Like If I'm, if I'm doing laundry or dishes and I'm listening to a new Drake album and I realize I, I mixed my colors with my lights and I fucked up some of my
2: laundry, <laughs>
1: that might change my opinion of track eight right yeah so it's like we it's, it's subtlety is like that that influence now more than ever our listening whereas back in 94 when you press play for the first time in the new biggie album like that's all you were doing mm-hmm. that is absolutely all you were doing you put the cd in the cd player you press play and you listen you were not scrolling anything your, your attention was not divvied up Four other things, that was the thing.
0: Yeah, it is very different. And I think another thing that you couldn't have necessarily done then is hate listens. Because now, if an artist you hate drops an album, you can still immediately listen to it for free to trash it. Do you know what I mean? Like, I feel like back in the day, if an artist you hated dropped an album, you're not gonna pay money to go buy the CD.
1: (laughs) I never did that for that reason alone. Um, you know, if you, if you, if you heard a couple records and already knew that this artist wasn't for you, there was no chance you were going to spend anywhere between, you know, 13 and $22, uh, just to be pissed off. Yeah. (laughs) Whereas now, like you said, you you subscribe to a service for 10 bucks a month. It's, you know, it's just, it's just a click away. Um, I feel like people hate listening now because they feel like it's impossible to be a part of the conversation that's taking place about the work without having some general baseline for why it's being hated on so much. Yeah. Um, but I think a lot of those people are probably younger than I am. When you get to be my age or, or older, so mid thirties or older, you know, you, you, you work 40 to 60 hours a week. Maybe you're married. Maybe you have kids. You don't fucking time for that shit. Yeah.
2: yeah.
0: You don't have time to listen to an album just to hate it.
1: No chance. I don't if someone else is is 37 or older and they somehow have the free time to hate listen, um, I'd love to know how they they break up their dad.
2: Yeah. (laughs) Love
0: to know their time management skills.
1: Yeah, teach me something.
0: (laughs) Now, would you, because I think I definitely would, place Ready to Die in, let's say, top five best rap albums ever? I know that's a very specific, loaded question.
1: Yeah, you know, as I've gotten older, I've, I've moved further and further away from a, a top five best of all time to a top five my personal favorites. Yeah. I think the guy is on that list for me with Ilmatic and, and Reasonable Doubt, right? But um, I, I would never claim it to be the best. Um, number one, I don't think as a white man it's my yeah. position to, to come up with that top five. Uh, but beyond that, you know, music's very personal. It's, it's an extremely subjective um, medium. And so um, someone who grew up on the West Coast and um, was either influenced by the, the, the coastal beef and or was just never given the opportunity to really listen to him because, you know, not every radio station out West played uh, Juicy or Big Papa the uh, in, in Top 40 Radio Urban Station. They didn't play those records um, everywhere. So they didn't have the opportunity to become enamored with him like I did in Chicago, where he was all over the radio. He was all over WGCI. He was all over Power 92. B96 even played him. So, I mean, we had the opportunity. Not everyone there
0: Yeah, and you touched on something interesting, and we've had discussions about this before. It is an interesting... Um, Tricky. I don't know if that's the right word, but it, an interesting, tricky dynamic uh, to be a white person in the world of hip hop and want to be respectful towards the art form and not like on this podcast, I constantly uh, make it clear that I have never considered myself an expert or a critic like this podcast and when I interview rappers, it's purely from the perspective of a fan and not me going, okay, here's how hip hop works. Listen to the expert right now. So wh- what is it like to, for you to approach that appropriately?
1: It's hard. Yeah. It's hard. I mean, you know, so going back, I- I've been in this space and by space, I mean like media, music journalism, streaming, radio. Um, since 2002. So we're talking about 19, 19 years. And um, when I when I did college radio and then professional radio, um, it, was, it, it was a tightrope walk because I wanted to be able to show my love and appreciation for this genre that soundtracked my adolescence without making it seem like I was a wannabe. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I I didn't have aspirations of becoming a rapper. I just loved listening to rap music. Um, And I'm fortunate that I grew up in a household where my parents encouraged me um, to to listen to whatever I wanted. There weren't restrictions on the music that could be played in my household. Unlike a lot of friends where their parents didn't let them listen to rap music. Because there was that that stupid fear, that inherent fear that, you know, it would lead to to drug use and, and all of the other... Um, you know, foundationally racist um, uh, stereotypes. Yeah. Um, as as I as I got older, and we got into uh, journalism through DJ Booth, um, we wanted to be able to tell stories, but do so respectfully. Um, which is why we never covered celebrity news or gossip or rumors. Um, we you know, like if artists were arrested, we didn't cover that. If artists um, had issues with um, Drugs. We tried to cover it tactfully, um, where we would, you know, possibly bring in a, a, a substance abuse counselor or someone who was an expert uh, in a particular field, where people could learn from it. Um, we never wanted to come down on artists. Even our cultural criticisms, um, it was very important to me that we that we executed them in a refined manner. Did we always? Do the right thing? No. I mean, there, there are times where I feel like the the topics we covered were great. The the angle that we took was great. But we just didn't have the right voice to pen the piece. Mm-hmm. Where I, I wish, in hindsight, we had had a, a black man or woman write the story and not have the perspective be from that of, of a white person. Mm-hmm. Um, and just try to get better at it. Now, uh, I mean... I I try to lay off any, offering any um, opinions whatsoever. I'm basically, um, what is it, Switzerland? I'm neutral. (laughs) I'm I'm just trying to be a source for artist education and artist discovery and um, just trying to get better.
0: Well, and I think you've done a good job of that because I'm not even an artist, but I'll watch your interviews and I'll be like, these are really useful tips for artists. Well, I hope,
1: (laughs) I hope that's the takeaway, Um, you know, not not to to belabor the subject, but there are so many white people who work in and around music who are evil,
2: they
1: are, are terrible human beings, they are slimy, skeezy, con men and women, scam artists, I'm not even solely talking about the people who are signing these artists to awful refugees. I'm talking about the people who are behind uh, these promotional services, and uh, playlisting services, and these social media boosting services, who are selling dream fulfillment. 99% of these folks are white. And and it just disgusts me to no end. And so it's really important that, and this is why my face is my avatar on Twitter, because I, I want to be who I am. I want people to see I care. This is not an act. I'm mm-hmm. trying to make up for all these other awful like people. I'm just trying to show everyone um like there are good people who work in this business. There are people who have the artist's best interest in mind. And um that's always been my goal. Not just since I I, <laughs> I started tweeting.
0: Yeah. Well, I remember, you know, with my humor pieces for DJ Booth, I always tried to walk a fine line where it's like I want to make jokes that involve hip-hop without making it seem like I think hip-hop is a joke. You know what I mean? It's tough. Yeah. It's it's
1: tough. I mean, to be able to uh, straddle the line of hitting on jokes, and I think you did a very good job with that. Hitting on jokes while also not offending, but knowing as a comedian by trade, Drew, that... um, you know, it's almost impossible to hit on jokes and not offend some some part of the audience. Yeah. So
0: even when you're not trying.
1: Someone's always gonna be offended no matter what. And on social media, that's amplified tenfold. Um you could say something, you know, vague and mundane, uh and and with, with nothing behind it. And someone will be offended. Um now obviously knowing that it's incumbent upon the writer and the editor and the publisher to do their part to ensure that if that's the baseline reaction, what can we do to safeguard against that happening? Mm -hmm. Um, And sometimes you do it well, not you, but you know, sometimes we, we do it well. Sometimes you fuck up and you realize you could have done it better. And then the hope is, is that when you do fuck up, you recognize that you fucked up and you don't
0: fuck up again. Yeah, you, you learn your lesson. Because I remember there would be articles that uh w- that people would be offended by. And it would n- it would always be ones that I, I did not expect people to be offended by.
1: That's the internet,
0: man. Yeah. Or I'd write something and I'd be like, people are going to hate this. And they wouldn't. But then an innocuous thing. And I'd be like, oh, wow, they were really upset about that. I didn't even think they would be. So sometimes it's difficult to predict. But you just, you know, you try to get better at it.
1: Yeah, you know, I think... Those who who read um, a a writer's work regularly or who read a publication regularly and they understand the reputation that either the writer or the publication have in general and they're familiar with their work and their approach and their tact, um, that isn't the issue. The issue is when this content pops up on, on people's timelines who don't know the writer they don't know the publication they have no history to go off of and other than just snap judgment that's Twitter really in a nutshell right? Oh yeah. You send out messages that are received by your followers who know you whether they like you or not is relevant well. um, and so the reaction that, that you get from that immediate um, orbit is is typical and then someone finds the tweet or someone who, who follows you, retweets it, and it enters a new orbit. And those people aren't familiar with you. They probably are not even going to read the fucking article. They're just going to react to the, the, the Twitter copy or the headline. And then that's when it just takes off and, mm-hmm. and out of control.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, and uh, another thing I wanted to ask you is you you strike me, obviously. You've been in this space for so long you strike me as someone that obviously has a love for hip hop. And was there a specific artist or album or song or time in your life where you can remember that's what made you fall in love with hip hop?
1: I think Biggie played a part in that. I think Jay Z played a part in it. Biggie before Jay. Um, but, I mean, you know, we had cable. God bless my parents. And, um, you know, back when, you know, the kids listening to this now are going to be like, what? Back when music videos were on television, <laughs> I would do nothing but watch, you know, BET Uncut and M- MTV, um, and I just, you know, growing up, you know, as, as a, I don't think I was dorky, but, you know, I, I definitely was like almost cool, uh-huh. and being able to see this, this cool lifestyle, or what I at least perceived to be very cool at the time, still cool, at least for, for most artists, <laughs> um, was, was just, I was living in a fantasy land like a lot of these artists were living in fantasy lands themselves through Um And so that, that listening to hip hop took me out of my life and put me into um, a different one, one that I perceived as a kid to be cool. Um, as I grew up and started listening more to the lyrics, um, not everything was a fantasy land that I would want to be in. And then that's when you become an empath and you realize just how difficult these lives were in comparison to my own, which was you know, pie in the sky, all things considered. Mm-hmm. Um, but Jay played a part, Big played a part, Tribe Called Quest played a part, um, Nas played a part, Common as a Chicago rap artist played a part, Crucial Conflict as a Chicago act played a part. Um. Yeah, I could go on, but yeah, you know, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna spend the next five minutes of this podcast just listening.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but now that you're in the world of music, do you listen to music the same way? Like, is is there less magic to it now?
1: I don't, and I hate it. I, um, let me let me just clarify. Um, I don't hate the music. I hate that I I'm no longer able to listen the same way. When you when you're either in the media or working in music, um your your ears change and i don't mean like that it becomes harder to hear although i'm sure if i went to the ear doctor i would find that my hearing has definitely degraded over time because of of, of headphone use what i mean is i'm not able to listen with as much carefree uh unbridled joy as i once did i'm listening for something um that mixes off um this this record wasn't mastered um you know those eight oh eights are are too common. There's nothing unique about this artist. Why did they, why why did they open up with the book? Where's the first verse? <laughs> um, that bridge is terrible. I'm, it's just it's one thing after another. Whereas back as a kid, you know, I didn't think about any of that shit. You just press play and you listen. Yeah, I missed I missed that.
0: Yeah, I figured that's that's interesting to me. That you, I remember uh, I was listening to uh, Joe Budden's podcast, and one of his co-hosts was talking about that, where he's like. I hate going to the studio with artists because it it changes music for me. I just want to listen. And essentially, and I feel the same way, and not know anything about it. Like, I know nothing about the recording process to a certain extent or mixing and mastering. And I love that because it it gets... I I only approach it as a fan that knows nothing.
1: And I'm sure for you, that has probably allowed you to enjoy... A lot of the music that you've heard, or at least more so than if you were in my shoes. Um, I feel like, you know, the the cap's off the bottom at this point for me. I honestly don't know if I'll ever be able to go back to just listening um, in the same way. I I will say that when I'm not listening to music for work, so if I'm listening to um, jazz or um, old school Motown or Basically, any genre or subgenre that I don't cover or curate or oversee professionally, it's a completely different listening experience for me uh, because I just I'm not thinking about how it relates to what I do on a day in, a day out basis, which is sort of freeing.
2: Um, yeah, I bet. So
1: maybe- Maybe there's hope for me,
0: true. <laughs> Maybe there is.
1: I feel like this just turned into a therapy session. <laughs> it,
0: it tends, tends to. It's my issues. It's <laughs> why I'm here. But I, I really appreciate you doing this. Thank you for taking the time. I know you're very busy.
1: No, this was very enjoyable. We, we initially jumped on just to talk about the opening verse of, of Biggie's Juicy, but this conversation was, uh, was definitely uh, enjoyable and therapeutic. So...
0: Alright guys, that's the episode. Thank you so much for listening. Make sure you follow Z on Twitter at DJ Booth EIC. Make sure you follow the podcast at Bar Hop Podcast. And this is unrelated, but make sure if Kanye has a third Donda listening party, do not tune in. That man is never going to drop that album and we need to teach him a lesson.